appreciate it so much. Well, good morning. So good to see you this morning again uh, on this cooler June day. What's with that? Anyway, it's amazing. Uh, Would you find in your Bibles the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis? If you're not familiar with your Bible, Genesis is the first major book. The the Bible is divided in chapters and verses. We're in the 11th chapter of the uh, book of Genesis. The series is called Prophets, Rulers, Patriarchs, and the Thief. I forgot that last week, and so I've been practicing all week, and I think I got it right. And today we're going to look at the patriarch. We've looked at prophets already, and today we're going to look at the patriarch named Abraham. Uh, It would be easier to explain his life if we had two months worth of Sundays. Uh, The challenge is how to summarize his life in a week. Well, I decided this week I can't, uh, so I'm going to take at least two, two weeks on looking at the man called the father of our faith and what he found related to faith. All right, so, uh, you know, let's work at it. It's kind of easier to to, uh, describe the Grand Canyon in three sentences than what we're going to do here, but let's go after it. Three men in the Bible were called patriarchs. A patriarch The word patriarch literally means father ruler. And uh, there are others in the Bible, for example, David, that is known as a patriarch, but I believe the term is used as a father ruler rather than part of the founding of the Jewish faith and race. And so uh, I think most people will say there's three patriarchs. They are Abraham and then his son, Isaac, and then his son, Jacob. These were the three men that God used to establish uh, Judaism and ultimately Christianity. Uh, And these were the men that that not only established the faith, but the race of of, uh, the Jews or the Hebrews. So that's a little of, of the background in who Abraham is. He is an enormous figure in the life of the church. Uh, Abraham was born and raised in a place called Ur, which is Iraq, okay? He was an Iraqi. That kind of messes with your head, doesn't it? Uh, He was an Iraqi, and um, this is what it says about it. Genesis 11 and verse 27, 27 says, now these were the generations of Terah, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran fathered, and Haran fathered Lot. Now, I'm going to stop here already. The given name of the first patriarch was Abram, uh, which means the exalted father. Later, the Lord would change his name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. Now, there's a kind of a, a gap in understanding about 
who he was and what he did here in his earlier life. However, we do know certain things about his family. His family was a, a Bedouin family, and they were shepherds, and they were wealthy. They were very wealthy. And uh, so this family uh, lived their lives in Iraq uh, probably for generation after generation after generation. Now, a turning point in the life of Abram is uh, found in how God revealed himself to Abram. Uh, we don't know exactly how, and we don't know exactly when, but we know this. This is an illustration of something that the Bible calls grace. What did Abram do to provoke God to reveal himself? What, what did he do in order for God to reveal himself as a savior and for him to respond to it, for Abram to, to respond to it? The answer to that is absolutely nothing. In other words, Abram was saved just like we are. It has nothing I'll, I'll say this again. It has nothing to do with how you get God to react to you, to present himself to you. Uh, it says this in Ephesians 2, and I, I would like you to join me, if you would, to this passage in Scripture, because there's certain passages that are like mountaintops uh, in uh, the history of our faith in the Bible. And this is one of them, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. Maybe you've memorized it. It says this, for by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. This is a comma, but I'm going to put a period here for just a second. Grace. Let's define that word. If you grew up in church, you know that grace is unmerited favor. I heard that all my life, unmerited favor. I had no idea what unmerited favor was, but I could give that answer. Uh, what is grace? Grace is what God does on your behalf or keeps from happening on your behalf that you had no influence at all in what he did. That's grace. It's God's unilateral decision to bring some sort of ultimate blessing in your life. That's what grace is, the free work of God on your behalf. Now, the next term is the word saved. You see it there, have been saved. Uh, I don't want to make too much of the original language because I think it gives an idea that you can't understand the Bible unless you understand it. And that's definitely not true. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. But sometimes it helps. And so let me throw it in here. You notice that this is written as have been saved. Have been saved. Uh, we call that perfect tense in the 
New Testament, New Testament Greek. And what that means is this is something that was happened, that happened. It is completely done. It happened in the past, but the impact of it, the effect of it, continues on in your life. So, by grace you have been saved. For those of us who follow Christ, who have accepted Christ, what we should know here is that he's talking about not only that event in which we accept Christ, that moment that we call salvation, but he's also talking about uh, the continuation of the impact of salvation. In other words, it isn't something that just happens once and doesn't happen again. It's something that happens once and that is continued on and on and on in your life by the work of God. Now, the word saved, the little word sozo, the word saved means to rescue. And specifically, when the Bible talks about rescue, it re- it's speaking of rescuing you from the impact that your sin has had on you, okay? Your sin has had on you. Now, what impact has it had? Your sin has had an impact. What is that impact? And that impact on you is separation from God. You've heard that before, but soak it in. Separation from God. Complete separation from God, except how God might want to work in your life. All right? So, what is it? Uh, Grace is what God does on your behalf, and saved is how God comes and rescues you out of that condition, that mess that you were in, and has granted to you the forgiveness of your sin. And not just forgiveness of sin, you've become a child of God. Not just a child of God, he not only has saved you, but will continue to save you and empower you to live for him. Salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith means trusting God and taking God at his word. In this case, it would mean this. When you trust God, when you take God at his word, then you can know that the grace of God's working in your life, working in your life to save you. Now, the next phrase gives us problems. Let's let's look at it. And this is not your own doing. What's this? What does that refer to? Well, it could refer to three things in the earlier verse or other part of this verse. It could say refer to grace. It could say refer to saved or faith. It could be either one of those. So which does it refer to? Uh, And this is not your own doing. Does that mean grace? No, it's really not your own doing. Faith? No, it's really not your own doing. But it's really not... Well, I'll use the term modifying uh, those words at all. Instead, it is connected directly to salvation. That's even better because this is what it's saying. For by grace you have been saved, and that salvation has nothing to do with what you do. 
You see, uh, now, God must give you the faith with which to trust him. God must work in your life to give you grace, the grace of acceptance when you didn't deserve it. But the important thing here is for us to see that our salvation is the doing of God. Uh, when, when I was a kid growing up, uh, and I would listen to sermons and Bible studies, I, I almost had the impression that I was saved because I had prayed a certain prayer, or I was saved because I joined a particular church, or I took the Lord's Supper, or I took, uh, uh, or lived by the Ten Commandments, or somehow that grace was something that I activated through my faith, and so faith is what has saved me. No, God is what has saved you. God is who has saved you. And that's our point here. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So here we find Abram. Abram's living in the Ur of Chaldees. He's living around his uh, father and his family. He's probably lived there. Uh, That family has lived there for generations. And so we don't know how it was that God came to Abram. I mean, was he just walking down the road one day? Or was he lying down at night? Or was he, uh, I mean, what was going on? Well, he wasn't praying to God. We know that he was an idolater, a moon worshiper. And so, uh, how did God reveal himself to Abram? Well, we really don't know how that is. How did God reveal himself to you? How did it happen? It may have happened to you through this sense of guilt. I have sinned and rebelled against God. It may have happened because you have been taught about the love of God and you want to receive that fullness of the the love of God. Uh, It may be that you just had an incredible new desire for God. I don't know which one it is, but somehow or another, God reveals himself, and that is what is true here. Uh, Now, what do we know? We know that God chose Abram to be the father of a race and a faith. And that doesn't stop in the Old Testament with Judaism. It travels right on down the road to Christianity as well. This race that would come from Abram, I think, as you already know, this race is called the the people of God. They were the chosen people of God. God chose them, not because they did anything or even Abraham did anything. It's because God chose them. That's why God God chose that. God did that. And so uh, that's... The, the situation here. Uh, God chose the descendants of Abram to be his own children, and from them then would come the, the Lord God, the Savior of the world. All right. What else do we know about his early age? We know that he married a woman named Sarai. 
And we know that she was a knockout in a positive sense. We know that she was drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, and so they're married. They marry early. And then we come to this most defining moment in his life. And it says this in 12.1, Genesis 12.1, as we go on. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Would you notice how God said it? I mean, he didn't want Abram to have any misunderstanding. There's no sugarcoating this. Go from your country and your kindred, your family and extended family, and your father's house. Go from them, the people that mean the most to you in this world. Go from them uh, to a land that I will show you. All right. And then God made him a promise. He was to go, and if he went, then God made him a promise. And the promise was, verse number two and three, it says, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, so that you will be a blessing, period. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, we could boil down the promises of God to Abram like this with two words, soil and seed. God promised him soil and seed. Soil, the land, the land called the promised land, which would be what was known then as Canaan. And, and so God promised Abraham's descendant that land, that land where the Jews had moved back to and became a nation again in 1947. And there's so much miraculous about that, I wish I had time to talk about it. Uh, but that's the soil. God gave them this land. And God gave him seed, which means descendants, and not just a few. Uh, they would be, they'd be like the stars in the sky, God said. And, and these descendants would be the Hebrews, would be the Jews. And then all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, Abram, through you and what you do. But please remember this, blessings compel obedience. Let me say that again. Blessings compel obedience. Have you been blessed by God? Now, if you say no, then you don't have a clue what God does in your life. Have you been blessed by God? Yes, you have. That, those blessings compel your obedience to him. Now, here's what God told him. Leave Ur and Go to Haran, and Haran would, is about 600 miles north, northwest, 
of um, Ur. And then from there, he was to go southwest, and God was going to tell him when he got there. So, can you imagine that kind of discussion? Uh, Sergei says to him, well, what are we going to do today? We're moving. Hmm. Uh, well, where are we moving to? I don't know. Uh, what do you mean you don't know? God said, just get on this road and keep on going until he talk- stops. What'd she say? Say what? You know, you're kidding. Uh, but they did, all right? Some years ago, well, I, I should back up just a little bit. Marsha is a planner's planner. She, she has literally lists of her lists, and uh, we're going away in a couple of weeks. We have a long list of things. Thank God for, for this. Now, when we go on vacation, her idea of vacation, mine, is a little different. Uh, in that, uh, you know, uh, she might say, all right, the first night we're going to drive 300 miles and stay at the Circle K. No, not the Circle K. Uh, uh, the Big Eight or whatever that is. All right? And then the next night we're going to drive another 300 miles. We're going to stay here in this town. Well, you know, my thought is <laughs> I can get a schedule at church. You know, uh, they can tell me what to do. Uh, I don't, <laughs> this is vacation. Go live it up. See what happens. All right? That's, that's my view of it. Just see what happens. And uh, so one year I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to plan the vacation. <laughs> and uh, on a certain date, I want you guys all ready to go. Where are we going? I'm going to tell you when you get there. I'll tell you when you get there. Well, is it in a cold area? Yeah. Is it in a hot area? It's there too. Hmm. Uh, okay, where are we going? I'm, I'm not going to tell you. So that day came, and we got in our little travel trailer, and our, our Suburban, and we pulled it out, and I made a right turn. Everybody was discussing where we were going. Uh, we lived in Tennessee at the time. Uh, we're going somewhere in Florida. That's where I think, somewhere in Florida. And then I turned around, and I went the other way, and we headed in the other direction for a while. And so everybody's going crazy. Everybody's deciding, you know, where we're going to go, guessing where we're going to go. Well, ultimately, we got to uh, Yellowstone. We had a wonderful time there. But you know what I found out? What I found out was, now I had to plan the vacation. Uh, I had to decide where the stops were. And I'm not cut up for that. that. I'm just not made that way at all. Well... I think I'd be okay with God saying, pick up your stuff and go. I don't think the wonderful woman that I'm married to would be quite as good with it, but she's a woman of faith, and I'm going to say she would. All right. <laughs> so we're, we're headed out. Now, I want you to think about what Abram surrendered to God. He surrendered his long time ancestral home. And he surrendered his relatives to the Lord to obey God. 
and he surrendered his safety. You never know what's out there on these trails that he might encounter. And he's surrendering his comfort and his friends, his whole way of life. I mean, he's putting it all on the line in order to follow God. Now, it's not exactly that way, but a little bit like this. Uh, I was born in southern Illinois, a little town uh, in, in southern Illinois, and unfortunately, I was sick. I was sick for three years, and the doctor said, it's either move him or he'll die, whichever you want. Uh, and where, where do you move him to? Uh, move him to Phoenix. The hot, dry air is going to be good for him. And so, you know what my parents did? They packed up. They left her huge family and his huge family that lived right there. And they had lived there for generations. And my father had a small business and left that, their friends, everybody, in order to move to Phoenix to help a sick child. I don't know if I ever told him thank you for that, but I should have. God comes to him now and says, forsake all that you have and go west, and I'm going to tell you when you, when, uh, you get there. Well, the amazing thing to me is the degree to which Abram showed faith in God throughout his life. Not perfectly, not all the time, but the general direction of his life was that he trusted God. Uh, let's see it in Genesis 12, 5. It says, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. A lot of discussion. What does that mean, acquired? Is this slavery? No, I don't think so. Uh, what I think he's talking about here is that these are the people that Abram tells the story to. There will be, a, there will be soil and seed, and God's blessing will be there, and this will be the promised land. Come on. That's the people I think they're talking about. And they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, which is north of Jerusalem, to the Oak of Mori. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring will I give this land. In other words, you have arrived. And so Abram built there an altar to the Lord whom had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the, uh, the hill country on the east was Bethel and he pitched his tent there and with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord and Abraham journeyed on still going toward the Negev it's uh, called here Negev is what we call it today so 
uh, all too often, all too often, we say that we trust God. And there's little active evidence that we do. Abraham trusted God and put it all on the line. Often we say that we have faith and there's very little evidence of it. True faith is active faith. It's not something you just, well, I'm going to trust Jesus when I, I accepted him and now I'm going to go to heaven so I'm in kind of automatic mode. No, no. Uh, faith is trusting the Lord day by day. Uh, trusting the Lord with what kind of things? Well, what are you risking? M maybe you're in trouble at work because of some witness that you gave to a customer. What are you willing to risk on behalf of that customer's life, eternal life? Uh, what friends are you willing to risk in order to be obedient to God? You see, it's ultimately about that. I'm willing to risk this because I believe that God is going to keep his word and uh, do what he's promised. So Abraham risked everything and he packed up possessions and he headed west and they traveled for months. Maybe they traveled for years. There's some discrepancy about how far from Haran to Jerusalem, for example, might have been. At least 500 miles, maybe further. And so they traveled for months. They may have traveled for years. And they come to then verse number seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, your offspring will I give, I, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Home. Abram, your home. This is the place of promise. Now we don't know anything yet about the people of promise. But here is the place of promise. Now, I have to decide whether to go on or stop. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to take uh, kind of, I'm going to take the shorter way. I'm going to stop here. And I want to stop because I don't want to go past the significance of this event. What does Abram teach us? Well, what Abram teaches us is that God saves us by grace. Here he was an idolater. Here he was a pagan, a moon worshiper. And God reveals himself to Abram. Why Abram? Well, because that's God. That's what God wanted. Say, well, that's capricious. It's not what uh, uh, God, why didn't God choose everybody? Because he's God. And he decides that. Do you see we need to expand our understanding of God. God's a lot bigger than we take, uh, often take him to be. And so he's saved by the grace of God 
intervening in his life. Is God doing that in your life? Is God becoming, uh, boy, this is a poor term, but is he becoming more involved in your life? Which would mean, is God making himself to know in, in your mind? How would you know? Well, do you want to know God? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be a child of God? Do you want to have an eternal life? Do you want these things? Well, you should understand that the want that you've got, that want comes from God. It does not come from you. You weren't out looking for God. God was out looking for you. You see, figurative speaking. And, and so we get to see grace, the intervention of God in the life of a person who doesn't have any idea who he is. Praise God for grace. Another thing that we see here is that God saves us to bless us. And it does. I mean, from estrangement to God, we come to intimacy with God. From uh, the, the disciplining, punishment of God to acceptance and love, but kind discipline. Uh, God comes into our lives to change the kind of people we are, and that's a very good thing. And so God comes into our life to forgive us. But something else has to be said here. God comes into our life to bless us so that we can be a blessing to other people in his name, in his power. You're saved not just for yourself. You are saved for others to minister grace in the name of Jesus, to tell the story of salvation, uh, and uh, to offer kindness to those who suffer. Uh, We are called for a purpose. God has called us and saved us so that we can be a blessing to others. I read a fascinating article this past week by a sociologist, uh, Robert Bella, who interviewed hundreds of middle-class Americans. And uh, here's some of the experiences he had. He interviewed Nurse Stella Larson, and she said that her philosophy of life could be summed up in just one word, and that is Stellaism. That's right. Be nice to myself. Be kind to myself. Be easy on myself. I've got to put me first because nobody else would. We live in a time that is dominated by selfism. Another interview that he had was with an author called Melody Beattie. Maybe you've heard her. Uh, of her before, she wrote the book, Codependent No More. 
As I said, we live in a time dominated by selfism. In her book, Codependent No More, she writes a dedication page. And in that dedication page, she says, I dedicate this book to myself. I dedicate it to me. I mean, after all, I'm the most important thing in the world. Uh, Another, there's a a kind of a self-help teacher apparently named John Bradshaw that said that you should say out loud often, I love myself and I will accept myself unconditionally. Well, isn't that nice? A life wrapped up in self. Selfism. It would be one thing if selfism stayed outside the church. That'd be easier to understand than what's happened. And that is this selfism has very much invaded the church itself. And we can see this in all kinds of ways in the life of ministers and life of members alike. Uh, For example, uh, you know, I'm just kind of going through the files in in my head. There's a lot of them (laughs) with this amount of time in ministry. Uh, But let me pick out just a couple. Uh, One was not too long ago, a few years ago, uh, I was talking to a new member at our church in Oklahoma. And I said, well, brought, brought you here. And I was hoping that she said, the Lord brought me here. Or uh, the teaching of the word, or the worship brought me here. And this is what she said. She said, we came here for the youth program. Hey, there you go, right there. I came for what it could give to me. Uh, another, I, you know, if, if I was to rank, rank three of the most disappointing things that ever happened to me in the ministry, this would be one of them. People that we had known for many, many years Uh, made an appointment, came into my office and said, the Holy Spirit isn't here anymore. Well, uh, you know, cynicism, uh, sarcasm just kind of eats out of my bones. And, uh, you know, I have to choose not to do it. And sometimes I miss out. you know, the Holy Spirit isn't here anymore. Where in the world did he go? <laughs> I, I thought he was omnipresent. I thought he was in the life of every believer. Are none of the people that go to church here believers? You see, where I'm ha- headed, what she was talking about is she didn't get a buzz in the worship service right then at this season in her life. She just didn't get the buzz. And because that, the Holy Spirit couldn't be there. In other words, herself didn't have this emotional exchange. And so it must be that God's not there. Isn't that incredible? Selfism. How much of your life do you spend 
serving others because you're a Christian. Who are you reaching out to deliberately in order to bring them into your life so that you can be a witness for Christ? In other words, really what I'm saying is that that so many people today say we believe in Christ, but there's very little evidence of it. One final thing. Real faith acts. It acts. A-C-T-S. Real faith acts. All right, uh, so what does that mean? It's not dormant. It's not hanging around. It's not, I accepted Christ when I was 12, and I'll talk to him again when I die. You know, it, it, is that what it is? No, real faith, it changes your life. It means that you're trusting God. I'm willing to be obedient to you, God, with my finances. Whoa, you know, the last thing you get baptized in a person is their wallet. Uh, uh, you know, I'm trusting God with my, with my finances. I'm being obedient to God with that. I'm making the sacrifices that God has called on me to make for the good of my church. Real faith acts. Uh, trusting God with the things you fear. Are you trusting God with that? Or, or how about your family? I'm just hyper vigilant with my family. Always have been that way. Just hyper vigilant. But, but what I need to be is hyper-dependent on God with them. And so do you. God calls Abram out of nowhere to go to he doesn't know where to have what he does not have yet. God is calling you to no less than that. Let me pray Um, Lord, thank you for the life of Abraham, the father of our faith, and what he found. And Father, I, I just pray that his testimony of salvation, the work of the Spirit in his life, his willingness to risk everything, to be obedient, Lord, May we be moved to catch up to that kind of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray.